Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas, and we're doing Life Over Coffee. I want to talk about a, a, compli- a coupling of two ideas. One is making a decision, but not just making a decision during any season of your life. Making a decision when moving forward is hard. That is the toughest time to make a decision when you're going through personal suffering. I'm talking about significant suffering. It seems like suffering always rides it's the undercurrent of our lives, and so in one sense, it's kind of normal to make decisions in a fallen world, but sometimes we find ourselves in those valleys, but decision-making doesn't stop at those points, at those junctures, and so we have to keep moving forward. And so I'm titling what I want to share with you three tips for moving forward when things are hard. Moving forward in faith, meaning, what I mean by that is believing God can do all things well for me. Moving forward in that kind of faith is one of the hardest things to do in our fallen world, especially when those decisions are difficult and those seasons are excruciating. Because of the complexity of deciding big things to move forward with life, the main thing that I must do is to make sure that I have God's perspective on the thing I'm thinking about doing. I call this sovereign clarity. Without God's sovereign clarity, my sight lines will lower to a man-centered view, which will spell disaster. Thus, to move forward during difficult times while guided by God's perspective, that divine sight line, that sovereign clarity that we need, there are three things that I must practice. They are three essential sequential steps and so they follow a a pattern they go in order and these three steps are absolutely essential when trying to move forward during difficult times now again i'm talking about complex questions because some of the simple questions in life i mean they are easy to determine and even if i don't make the best choice the consequences for these smaller decisions are not that difficult to overcome some of those easier decisions are ordering out or selecting a movie or buying clothes or paying a bill. The truth is that most of the things that we decide on any given day do not bring internal consternation, or I hope they don't bring that kind of consternation. We think, we decide, we, we move on. We have to make so many decisions that it's not reasonable to elevate every single decision to a complicated level of biblical decision-making. Now, mercifully, the Lord has created us to do some things instinctively, habitually. I mean, for example, and, and many of you have had this has happened to you, after repeated commutes to your job, you remember the first day of, jo- of your job or first day driving to school, maybe when you got your license, You eventually begin making the trip without thinking, instinctively, habitually. Upon arriving, you say, wow, I'm not even sure how I got here. I don't remember the drive. Now, that may be comforting to you or it may be discomforting to you. It seems like we should remember the drive, but God has made us to be habitual creatures so that we don't have to elevate everything to complexity and internal angst and consternation. 
and that is the beauty of habituation and decision-making. Of course, the downside is when you train yourself to think and respond in ways that are not good for you, not good for others, and not good for God. And so we can get into a habituation that has an adverse effect on us, and thus when it comes time to make decisions, because we have been well-trained by many shaping, adverse shaping influences, then decision-making does become very difficult. I want to share a story of someone who has gone through the crucible of adverse shaping influences, and now they are well-trained, habituated in negative thought patterns. And because they are well-trained in negative thought patterns when it comes to making decisions, in this case, big or small, There is paralysis and an inability to pull the trigger to move forward. My friend Mabel is an excellent example of someone who has habituated herself poorly. Now, maybe that's not the best way to say it because uh, she was habituated by other people. She came from a critical home environment. That was her early childhood development primarily. Without the mooring of Christ that matures all people into God-centered adults, Mabel, on the other hand, became withdrawn with her family and internally frustrated. Her parents trained her to have an acute sense of inherent awkwardness fueled by guilt, shame, and fear. Biff, her husband, discerned early on in their marriage how her child development molded her into an insecure person, especially if her spidey senses perceived any criticism coming her way. Mabel has habituated herself to become a a ducker and a hider. She is afraid to venture out and make decisions because of her hypersensitive awareness of what it means to be wrong, to be put down, to be criticized. Again, that was her early childhood development as her parents, particularly her father, shaped her into this insecure person. Thus, Mabel would go into paralysis analysis mode, especially when it was time to make the more significant decisions in life. She just couldn't pull the trigger, as Biff is fond of saying. And rather than being frustrated by this, Biff tried tried to help her. He tried to do for her what her father never did for her. Biff took the leadership of their home and their marriage and said, I'm going to come alongside my wife. I'm going to understand her the right way, and I'm going to disciple her. And so Biff began to help her to see three core issues. Now, that ties to what uh, the title of this talk is. There are three essential things in sequence that we need to know in order to move forward, especially during troubling times. And so Biff began to help her to see these three core issues that affected her when it's time to make a decision. Now, his goal was to rehabituate her destructive thinking patterns into better ones. Good for Biff. Praise God for his leadership. His hope was for her to be free, 
to make any decision, big or small. And so he did this by mapping the life of Moses over Mabel. You see, Moses made a decision, his decision, he chose to leave his adoptive family with Pharaoh in Egypt. He chose to leave his adoptive family and reconnect with his bio family and their religion. Now, if you want to study this passage, it would be an excellent devotion for you. It's Hebrews chapter 11. I'm sure you're familiar with it, but this is the passage that highlights this part of Moses's life. It's verses 23 through 31, where we see three core building blocks to the mortification of fear that leads to sound decision making. Now, I I put these three uh, core building blocks that are in sequential order. I I put them in a question question form, and I'll give you those three questions, the sequential steps, the three core building blocks, and then I'll get inside of each one of them. And so the first one is an identity question. Who am I? The second one is a priority question. What is most vital? And so the first question we have to ask is, who am I? Now, once that is established biblically, we we can begin to prioritize our life. What is most vital? And then the third question is a tenacity question. Will I endure? And so who am I? Let's situate that. What is most vital so that I can move forward? And then as I move forward, we have the tenacity question. Will I endure? And so let's begin with first things first, the identity question, who am I? Now, the text that I'll look at here is 24 and 25, verses 24 and 25 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. This is the who am I question, the identity question. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And so like all significant decisions in life, leaving his adoptive family, that just seems so hard to to grapple with, to imagine. It didn't come easy for Moses. Now perhaps you have struggled with a significant challenge that needed a giant leap of faith. Don't you remember the the fragileness of your soul as you thought about what you needed to do? I'm trying to somewhat put you in, in this place of Moses, though that would be so hard to do. But I think many of us have been in that place to where we had to take a giant leap of, of faith as he was doing, as he was leaving his adoptive family to connect with his bio family. Maybe you were wrestling with whether to stay in your marriage while fighting the ongoing disappointment. Perhaps you were trying to determine if you should confront someone, a person who is making your life difficult. Maybe you believed it was time to change your job, even though the pros and cons of both jobs were about the same. Don't you just love that? Uh, Perhaps you could not have a baby and, and wondered about alternate means to grow your family. Maybe the time seemed right to be married, but you were afraid to make that kind of commitment. That is just a a small sampling of some of those larger decisions that require what we might call a giant leap of faith. And it's only a small sampling of some of the more significant questions that people think through at some point of their lives. Now for Mabel, 
her paralysis in decision-making was more systemic as she struggled with nearly every decision, large and small. Too many of her decisions were a a gut-wrenching ordeal, and Biff saw this, and, and, and he knew it tied, in part, to her identity. Whereas we're answering the identity question, who am I? Who she believes she is before God and others. That is the identity question. Who do you believe you to be before God and others? The person who is most important to us is the person who has most control over our decisions. And so let's say that Mabel went shopping to buy a garment. If she were more concerned about what others thought about her, talking about identity, those perceived opinions that she would have about other people, that they had about her, would have more influence on her clothing purchase. If God's thoughts of her had more impact, then her decision to buy a garment would take on an entirely different perspective. Rather than trying to be cool or trying to be relevant or trying to be accepted, she would be more practical, more mature, more willing to reflect Christ to her world. And so when we think about our identity, the key question is here. Do you make most of your decisions based on what other people think about you? Or are your decisions based more on what God thinks about you? Wherever you place your identity, in God's opinion of you or other people's opinion of you, you can see that is a trajectory-setting concept that we have to wrestle with because it will send us in one or two directions. Mabel's complexity in decision-making, though, has an extra twist. It's not that she was just controlled by the opinions of other people. She always wants the Lord's opinion of her to matter, too. Because her father criticized her so much, she has a hard time believing her heavenly father thinks differently about her. Imagine living in a world where you tried to please people and God. You tried to please those who are horizontal to you and he who is vertical to us through the decisions, because you were uncertain that their affection, they had affection for you. Suppose you lived under the ever-present pressure of being rejected by anyone, horizontally or vertically, with an opinion that you valued. What do you think of me? Or, dear God, what do you think of me? Well, if you were bound in that kind of incarcerated thinking, you will inevitably make a bad decision because of a wrong view of how God thinks about you. The purest and most perfect way to decide anything is to make your decisions based on the correct idea of who God declares you to be in Christ. You see, Mabel relates to the Lord based on her works rather than on Jesus's works. Because again, she's mapping her relationship with her father or her past relationship with her father. She's mapping it over God the Father, who she believes God the Father to be. Now, Mabel loves the Lord, but she has a distorted view of who he is and how he thinks about her because of how her daddy treated her. She is wrong. She is a wrongly motivated God-pleaser. 
the truths of Hebrews 11.6, the truths of Ephesians 2.8 and 9, they are not entirely hers. I mean, intellectually, she can sign off on those wonderful passages, but practically, functionally, in her real day-to-day world, she lives under this cloud that maybe God is displeased with her somehow. Now, alternatively, Moses refused to continue his identification with the world, even if it meant his life would take a radical turn toward hard times. Because he was willing to recalibrate his identity Godward, he was in the perfect place to relaunch his life. He was in the perfect place to make a critical decision. Mabel hasn't come to that place where she can totally disconnect from this worldly identification of of how people think about her. And then, of course, that's mapped over how God thinks about her. She hasn't fully, purely recalibrated her mind to where she is ensconced, sitting freely in the identity of Christ, untethered by trying to please anyone through her works. And so the key question here, are are you, am I, fully resting in the works of Jesus Christ, the prescription for a proper identity in Christ? If we are resting fully in the works of Jesus, then we are not trying to work. That is not our identity. We are not work salvationists. And so if we're resting in the works of Christ, that is the prescription for a proper identity in Christ. And if we are, then we're in the best possible place to make any decision because the fear of others or an unhealthy fear of God, it will not bind us. And so the first question is an identity question. Who am I? Now, for some, I would imagine that as you hear this, it's like, I need to really focus here on my identity in Christ. And maybe that's where everything needs to stop right now. And you need to spend some time focusing on your identity. For those of you who have recalibrated, like Moses, you have disconnected from the identity of the world, choosing no longer to be uh, connected to the family of Pharaoh, and you are reconnecting to your bio family. We are connected to God now. Then we want to ask the priority question. Okay, my identity is situated clean, cut free. What is most vital now? The priority question, what is most vital? Well, in verse 26 of Hebrews 11, we hear this. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And so now that he has cut ties with Pharaoh, he is being identified with the people of God. Now he's thinking about the greater wealth and the reproach that comes with that. There is suffering. There is a cross that comes with walking with Christ. But he, he saw that as a greater reward than all the treasures of Egypt in 1126. A good relationship with Christ is the right pathway to respond to life's challenges biblically. And so after Moses had recalibrated himself with God, he was able to make the right life-changing decision. He's ready to relaunch. He's ready to go in a different direction. This reconnection released him to have true biblical clarity for decision-making. You have sovereign clarity when you are fully uh, resting in your identity who Christ is, and you, you don't have this soul noise that's trying to please others or trying to please God. 
As Mabel begins to unhook from the desire to please God and others, she too will experience newfound freedom in decision-making. And this victory will help her figure out what her biblical priorities should be. If others overly influence our decision-making, our decisions will be affected by what we believe their negative responses may be. If our decision-making is secure in Christ, a whole other worldview, and we know that we could not alter our relationship with Christ, then we would be able to make hard decisions, fully knowing God will always be there for us. Kind of what Paul was talking about in Romans 8. If God is for you, who can be against you? Knowing that God is for you because your identity is secure in Him, well, you can continue to read the rest of Romans verses 32 through 39. And you will see that you can withstand a lot of persecution if your identity is secure in Christ. And so you can make vital decisions. What is vital to me because my identity is secure? Moses believed that God had his back. He was not wrestling with it. He loves me. He loves me not. Worldview. He was confident God loved him with an endless and unalterable love. He was not afraid of what Pharaoh would do to him. Plus, he was not striving to earn God's favor, and that is a double bonus. It is decision-making perfection. When you are not afraid of the outcome while fully resting in a God who will never be displeased with you, a mind that thinks like that is released to make the most critical decisions in life. You would make them as Christ would. You'll be free from fear-based and fear-motivated decision-making, a kind of decision-making with a twist of self-protectives, because Mabel is always trying to be self-protective because she's insecure horizontally with what other people thinks, and she's insecure vertically with what God may or may not think. Self-preservation was not Moses' most pressing concern. And then in verse 27, it says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And so now we are asking the tenacity question, will I make it? And so the identity question, we have to be fully secure, horizontally and vertically, untethered from the opinions of other people and fully secure in God's opinion for us. And then we have sovereign clarity to know what is most vital. And so we cut loose with the treasures of Egypt and we're ready to head full along into the wealth of Christ. Or in Moses's day, uh, he was ready to launch and, and take up his life with the Hebrew children. But then after you make that decision, what is most vital to you, obviously there is a tenacity question. Will I make it? Am I going to endure? And in this verse in 11.27, he endured, Moses, as seeing him who is invisible. The process of thinking about what you should do must begin with identity, who am I, and then proceed to the priority question, what is most important? And these steps will bring you to where we are right now, to the tenacity question. 
will I make it? And that's something that we all ask, especially after we make these big decisions. And so let's say, for sake of argument, that you are no longer trying to please God or people through your works. Let's further suppose that you have made a difficult decision born out of this kind of freedom that you have in Christ. Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the king. Then the question becomes, will I endure? Your endurance is born out of who you are. You can't separate your endurance from your identity. But even if you are free to make the right decision based on a true identity with God, you will still have to confront the will I make it question. And this concept is a layered question that really just hangs on one word. And that word is, is good. What you think is good and what God thinks is good could be two different things. If we applied worldly thinking to the decision of Moses, it, it would have been good for him to stay with Pharaoh. I mean, that, that sounds good from a worldly thinking kind of way. Well, we know what happened when he decided to go with God. His life, his life went to pot. And we really have to wrestle with this because, you know, I, I remember years ago, uh, back in the 90s, when I was leaving BMW, the, the car manufacturing facility here in Greenville, and going into ministry, <laughs> I remember one friend telling me, a good friend, he was very sincere, he said, you're not going to make it. Uh, he was saying, are you out of your mind you're making a lot of money here on the production line, and you're going in ministry. I mean, your salary is going to be cut like 75% next week. Are you crazy? That's the problem with the word good. What do we mean by good? A, a, the, worldly the worldly test would suggest that Moses made a horrible mistake. His life seemed ruined. I mean, we know how it went. His life went to pot. And so at this point, though, you want to be careful. Because the more we try to avoid trouble, the more trouble we will experience. If we wrap up success and, and victory by not having difficulties or not making hard choices in life, we will not persevere well. Moses was not living in fear of others, and he was certainly not in suspicion of God. He lived by faith, which compelled him to do hard things. Faith was a telescope to Moses. It made him see the godly land afar off, rest, peace, victory, when dim-sighted reason could only see trial, barrenness, storm, tempest, weariness, pain, 40 years in a desert. It, it really hangs on this word good. My friend at BMW, love him to death, very fond of him. All these years later, it just brings a smile to my face. He's like, are you out of your mind? His idea of good and my idea of good, and from a worldly perspective, I was out of my mind. I had the mind of Christ. Faith 
told Moses that affliction and suffering are not real evils. Uh, This is a quote from J.C. Ryle. Let me share it with you. Faith told Moses that affliction and suffering are not real evils. Affliction and suffering is the school in which he trains the children of grace for glory. The medicines which are needful to purify our corrupt hearts. The fairness which must burn away our dross. The knife which must cut the ties which bind us to the world. I'm talking about three tips for moving forward when things are hard. There are three sequential questions that we have to wrestle through, and I don't know where you are on those three questions. Are you secure in your identity in Christ? If you are, then now you're ready to focus on what is most vital to you, going to Egypt or or going out into the desert. And then, of course, Question number three is the tenacity question, will I make it? And so I want to wrap up by asking you a a few questions. And the first one is, are you free in Christ? A very simple question, yes or no, closed-ended. Are you free in Christ? Is freedom a significant part of your identity, or do you still feel God is displeased with you? Are there days when you work for God's favor? It's an important question, and maybe that's something that you would like to talk to a friend, someone in your church, uh, because I do know that uh, many folks who come to our community wrestle this way. Question number two, because you know God has your back, are you free to make difficult decisions, even decisions that may be unfavorable to those around you? Have you lost your mind? You're going into ministry. (laughs) You're crazy, Moses. Look at all that you have here on the production line. Look at all that you have here in in Egypt. Because you know that God has your back, are you free to make difficult decisions? Really wrestle through that word good. Number three, your freedom in Christ pushes you further than you ever imagined you could go even if it costs you some of the pleasures of this world. The fleeting pleasures of this world. The big question here is, are you willing to count all things lost for your more fabulous treasure in Christ? That is Philippians 3.8. Paul said it this way, indeed, this is kind of like Moses. It's like a paraphrase of Moses' life, or at least at that that, that section of Moses' life. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Count Egypt as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. If you would like to read what I have just shared with you, you're welcome to do that. You can go on our website and you can look for an article. It's titled, Three Tips for Moving Forward When Things Are Hard. You'll get a full transcript of everything that I just shared with you. If we can serve you in any way, uh, we have a sanctification center. It is, it is shoved up in cyberspace, and it is free to anyone in the world. Read, watch, or listen. We have free articles. We have free 
videos, and of course, free podcasts. We have one-hour length webinars. We have a lot of them. Uh, you could spend literally two years studying our resources back to back to back, and they're all free, and it would truly be transformative uh, because we have received that testimony from many people over the past 14 years that we have been doing this ministry. I would love for uh, all of you, you can do this. You can pray for our ministry that God would continue to uh, give us favor. As of this uh, recording that I'm doing here. We are just on the verge of rebranding our ministry. We're scrubbing the entire ministry of my name, and we are going to life over coffee as far as the brand of our ministry, because I don't want my name on it because it doesn't make sense. It's not who we are. And we're setting our ministry up for a legacy ministry to where it can go on without me. Now, I have no intentions of going anywhere, but but that day is coming, and so I'm trying to be proactive. And we've been talking about this for about five years now, and we are right on the verge. By the way, the website is built. Uh, we're just doing some tweaking on it, and uh, it will be, God willing, the end of September of 2022 uh, when we will read relaunch our new rebranded website. I want to thank all of you who have prayed. Uh, some of you have worked on it. Many of you have given to it, and I just want to thank you for that because you are the people uh, that, that make this thing go. And so if you would pray for our ministry, I really would appreciate it. And then there is a small number of you that are able to support our ministry because we don't sell uh, these resources I was talking about earlier. Uh, we give them away. Uh, we are dependent on God moving hearts of people that can support one time or folks that can give on a regular basis, monthly or annually. So if you can do that, don't be guilted into it. If you can't, don't. Uh, but I want you to use our resources that you can do. And maybe the way that you could support our ministry in addition to prayer is by sharing our resources with your church, your leadership, your small group, your neighborhood. Print the articles off. Print this article off and do, uh, do a, a, a devotional study with someone or a number of people. Uh, if we can serve you, just hit the live chat button on our website and, and let us know how we can help in, in whatever way. We do have a school, an online school, and so if you really want to get deep into all things discipleship and be well-trained, uh, you're welcome to check that out too. Thank you so much for listening. I am Rick Thomas, and as always, we're doing Life Over Coffee. God bless. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.